Hello and welcome back to Lauren Robert's Left Peg, the brand new Newcastle United podcast brought to you by AMS Media. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and I'm joined by another Harry, a far more knowledgeable Harry. It's the brilliant Harry the Cosmo. Welcome back to the show, mate. How are you? Your intros get better every week, Harry. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm glad to be here again. <laughs> I, I, I don't practice them, I promise. They just come natural. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Uh, brilliant to be joined by harry once again uh, i'm going to get this in now just before i forget don't forget to follow us on twitter at lrlp podcast uh, you can email us as well lrlp podcast at gmail.com um harry let's begin uh, with the topic that's on everybody's lips the takeover has there been any significant update since the last episode no is the answer. Um, and I know that's stressing a lot of Newcastle supporters out because they expected to hear and we said last week it would be a week's time and it's the start of May, the end of April. But um, it just uh, the, the noise is coming out or it'll take as long as it takes. Everything, this sounds like a bit of a backtrack, I think, to a lot of fans who've, who've attacked. I've sort of kept away from, from mentioning it in the last week and people who, who are much more connected than I am I've had a lot of people saying, you know, that, that that people have made things up and whatever. But I think the truth is that they were, you know, we, we've been told things by the buyer's side. There are doubts on the seller's side, but there are always doubts on the seller's side. That got a couple of people um, in, into a little bit of trouble with the way that they phrased that um, in terms of, I think, the way that these deals work, the way that Ashley's worked, how many times, you know, as, and the way that his his the selling side has worked generally. They've got a little bit of an attitude like the Newcastle supporters, which is like, we'll, we even will believe this until it's done. Um, the reason why it's not announced yet is just because it's still with the Premier League. So it's still where it was last month. It's just that last week, sorry. The only difference is that now is about the time when people said it, it would be it would be getting announced and it hasn't been. But having said that, it could literally just be announced over, you know, out of the blue, out, you know, from, from nowhere. So... It is basically still where we are. We're still pending the announcement. It's just that the the atmosphere and the attitude around it's changed, which um, you can understand. But equally, uh, I wouldn't worry too much about it. It'll still go through, and uh, when it does, then the the you know the atmosphere will change, and the and we keep mentioning it, but the cans will come out. Absolutely, I was just going to say that, Harry. The cans will come out uh, in the northeast for sure. Um, We've been talking a lot in the last couple of weeks about the players, uh, sorry, the manager and his future uh, and what that might entail. And, and the fact that we probably don't believe that Steve Bruce is going to be at the helm for uh, the longer term. We think that the new prospective owners will come in and they will make wholesale changes. If they are as ambitious as they say they are, then that is what we expect. But we haven't really touched on the playing staff. And of course, there are plenty of players there at Newcastle United who may not as well have a long-term future at the club, given that we expect a real shift in momentum and a change in direction. But I want to go through a few players, Harry, and get your thoughts on whether you believe they can do a job in the short term for Newcastle United. And we know that um, you know Europe is the, the first aim. Um, we kept hearing reports that Steve Bruce has been given till the end of the season, not necessarily to qualify for Europe, but to show that he's got what it takes to deliver that. So let's let's run through a few of those players and I would like to get your take uh, on those players and whether you think that the club, um, you know, have a, a use for them, whether those players can be useful in achieving Newcastle United's goals. And I want to start with Isaac Hayden. Um, what have you made of his season so far and how do you see the future looking for him? 
Isaac Hayden's a player that I think um, should have some sort of future at the club. I don't, you know, he's a, a fan favorite. He's been through a lot of uh, stuff. Where there, you know, there was a whole big thing about where his family had moved down um, to London or to the Midlands, and no one was ever quite sure where that was. I think it was London in the end, um, and he wanted to leave, and he was was he didn't shirk that responsibility for the entirety of last season. He didn't shirk saying that he wanted to leave throughout, and you know, he he said it's only it's always personal reasons. My my daughter and my, you know, the situation comes, you know, personal life comes before football. Um, that's the reason I want to go. And then suddenly at the end of the season, uh, potentially because Steve Bruce came in and talked to him, who, who he'd managed at Hull uh, on a loan spell before he joined Newcastle, so things sort of changed. Maybe we don't really know if the situation changed or what Newcastle under Benitez were giving him a lot of um, time time to, you know, they, they, were, they were incorporating his situation, but obviously when they're in a complete different part of the country, it's very difficult to... Uh, to to, to make that, you know, fully, you know, get around that whole situation. Um, in terms of this season, I always think he's been a very solid performer. He's he's honest. He he comes out and, sh- you know, he he's he's vocal when he needs to be on the pitch and off the pitch. He's represented the new Newcastle uh, since relegation. The the Newcastle that Rafa Benitez was building, uh, in terms of the approach when. Matt Ritchie was talking about this in this in an interview that he did this week, where he, he said he came in and the, the atmosphere after relegation was awful because there were players like Ginny Wijnaldum and Musa Soko, particularly who wanted to leave, and the atmosphere around the club was was wasn't great because of that. And uh, Hayden and and Ritchie and all those guys who came in that summer helped fumigate the situation, helped restart the thing. And I think this Newcastle, you know, opposed to the previous incarnation where everyone was sort of in for the, in it for themselves. Hayden kind of best represents that, and and whether Newcastle go, you know, whatever Newcastle go on to achieve in the next few weeks, uh, sorry, years or, or whatever under uh, under these new owners, they need to keep hold of that togetherness, that spirit that players like Hayden have have um, you know created. He isn't the most spectacular footballer in the world, but I'd love to see him get some sort of role over at least an initial period because he's still at a good age. And Rafa Benitez said he could play. For England, uh, one day, I don't know about that. You know whether that's the you know he's he's a very mobile player. He's, he, he can get forward as well as his defensive, but his defensive structure is is, is what's really good. Uh, he when he's not there, you can tell he's not there. He's one of those players, and um, and I hope he gets a, a run in the team. Whatever happens over the next few years, I hope he stays and becomes a at least a a, a player in the transitional period. And then who knows after that but um, I, I certainly don't think he's one for the scrap heap that's for sure Brilliant stuff let's move on to Martin Dubravka um, I've been pretty impressed by what I've seen of him um, in a Newcastle shirt since his arrival he's had the odd dodgy game here and there but who hasn't I mean what do you make of Martin Dubravka Dubravka's a, a strange one because uh, he's not strange at all in a sense because it, in one sense because he he does you know he is the difference you know Newcastle are sat Eight points clear of the relegation zone. So we don't know when the season's going to be mentioned. That's the caveat whenever we talk about these things. But um, eight points clear of the bottom three, safe as houses, you'd think, with with nine games to go. Um, and the reason for that is Dubravka, the the amount of saves he's made. I think if you look at the stats, that'll back that'll be backed up by the number of saves he's made, the key saves he's made, the shots he's faced, and all that sort of thing. So 
he's taken the heat off the team and taken the heat off Bruce in certain situations. But then he's had certain certain mistakes. So a lot of people outside of the Tyneside bubble look at Dubravka as on the highlight reel and see the odd mistake and think, you know, he's, he's a bit susceptible. But if you look at it from um, purely, if you analyse everything to do in Newcastle, he's the, if anyone deserves a, a shot at, at the new era of Newcastle United, it, it's Dubravka because he's been the player of the season so far. Um, he really is a, an excellent goalkeeper. Newcastle have always had decent goalkeepers. Obviously, Shea Given was a, uh, a bona fide legend for years, uh, the third highest appearance maker until he left in 2009. Tim Krull was a very good shot stopper in between that. You had Steve Harper. Um, and then there was a little bit of a lull where there was Rob Elliott and Carl Darlow who were in between Krull and Dubravka who were a bit shaky in the championship season in the first half of the year that we that, that, that Krull got promoted. Dubravka comes in in um, December, uh, sorry, February, uh, of January, January, February, whatever the deadline day of that year. He makes his debut against Manchester United a 1-0 win and he's the man of the match and that sets the tone for his, for his entire career at Newcastle. Um, and absolutely, I think he he will be in the team. You know, even all of the uh, the mock-up teams with with Hayden, he's not in any of them. That, that's the difference between Hayden and Dubravka. Dubravka's in in all of them. I don't think there's yeah. one one of these mock-up teams that I've seen from a Newcastle fan or from anywhere else who's actually said that that Dubravka won't be in the team. I think he he absolutely deserves that. He signed a six-year contract, which basically takes him you know his his, his prime years, whatever he's got left. I think he's 31 now, so 37. Uh, he'll be when he, when that expires, and he's talked about maybe staying beyond that in Newcastle, uh, which a lot of players tend to do because it's um, such a lovely place. Uh, the links with Juventus and PSG have, have made Newcastle fans a little bit worried, but he is that he is he's certainly a good enough goalkeeper to uh, to to play in the transition period. Absolutely. If he, if he if he maintains this level of of how of, of how good he is, doesn't doesn't decrease because I think that that goes. You know, people say that goalkeepers can go on a lot longer. That that does seem to be waning a little bit. You know, goalkeepers aren't going on to their 40 anymore because they're a much more, you know, required position and they need fitness levels different to what they used to. They're not just shot stoppers anymore. So it's it's not as obvious to say that he'll be as good as he is now in his 35, 36. But if he maintains that level, then he could be he could be goal he could be number one goalkeeper if, he, if he's as good as he is now in six years for the entirety of his contract and I wouldn't have a problem even if Newcastle are playing in the Champions League with that I think he's absolutely fantastic Brilliant stuff Let's move on to Miguel Almiron um, of course a player who came here and there, there was a lot of hopes about Miguel Almiron and he has probably played to a higher standard than the outsider would think but of course it took him an age didn't it to score his first goal for Newcastle United Since then have you seen a different Miguel Almiron and are you convinced about him now? I didn't see anything different between when he scored before he scored and after he scored. Um, to be honest, Harry, I think the the people who got who had that wrong were the people from the outside who didn't understand what he was doing for the team. Because the only difference between now and then is the fact that he's scoring goals and, and making the assists. Because he was still getting in the same positions, he was still making the same runs, making the same passes. They were always, almost always, the right decisions. He he played plays the game the right way. Um, and uh, somebody who I know we both know, Roberto Rojas, um, who covered the deal, broke the deal from the American side um, to the, you know, when he when he joined in, in January of last year. Um, he, I've spoken to him a few times and he's never waned in his, you know, belief in Almiron. And I personally think he's been 
you know, he, he hasn't got the credit he deserves because he's uh, missed. He missed the odd chance before he scored. His goal was um, came at the perfect time against Crystal Palace just before Christmas. Late on, got Newcastle a one 0 victory. It was a really well taken goal as well. Not and then you know and then everybody was saying that the goals will just flow and they did. He, he was okay. He was scoring in the FA Cup against the likes of West Brom and, and Rochdale. Um, I think Oxford as well. I might be wrong, um, but not Oxford. Sorry, but Rochdale and West and West Brom. He scored against as well as a couple of league games. But you know, credit where credit's due. If you're going to criticise him for not scoring goals, you can't then point out who he's scoring goals against when he is scoring. Exactly. Um, um, and I think you know, as I said, I've spoken to Roberto about it, about him, and he's never he's never waned. As soon as he came in against Manchester City, that that news that he was going to sign for 21 million at the time a record, a record uh, arrival, it, it it felt different. It made I think that was what the catalyst for the night that later that night Newcastle beat Manchester City 2-1 uh, in Man City's last game, last defeat of that season before winning the title. They went on a 14 match winning run after that. I think um, that that decision, that noise that came out of, New, of the press room, the buzz and 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 that night just that was the catalyst that was what changed that night for for Newcastle um 21 million was a club record as i said it, everyone thought it was going to be the difference between um Benitez staying and going obviously wasn't in the end but i went to his press conference and he spoke very well and i haven't seen that many poor performances from him there's been certain games where he hasn't got into the games enough and he hasn't done enough and but you know you look at him you look like he he blow over um with a little breeze but he's stronger than he looks he's he's confident he's intelligent he's on and off the pitch he he's he's a player that i thought was you know was was bought for a new a fresh era if he came in then newcastle were going to go and do more than just try and stay up and i think he deserves the opportunity to um to uh to to fulfill that i think he's been worth the 21 million pounds despite what the stats say Mm -hmm. because he's played constantly like that there was a to sum it up, I think that the best way it's summed up is so I the one game I didn't get to this season um in the press room in the press box was Manchester United, one 0 victory, um Matty Longstaff scored and he missed there's a chance that he missed in the first half. And Gary Neville was on the commentary and he said you, you can tell what the problem with Alvarez is it's purely confidence because you can tell he got he got in the right position, his touch was good and his shot was good, but it just what but he just took a touch that allowed Harry Maguire to get back and make a block. And that and that that comes with hesitation and confidence. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that was the that was the only thing that was missing from his game. And I think he's absolutely shown that he's good enough, at least for the transitional period. I mean, who? What are we talking about here? When you ask me these questions, are you saying are they going to be in the team in five years when Newcastle are potentially winning? The, you know, where Manchester City were when they won the title? Potentially not. No, I think I, th- I think Harry. I think when we look at the entire squad, I think there is an argument that. If Newcastle were looking to challenge for Premier League titles in the next five to seven years, none of these players would be in the in the team. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is, I guess over the next couple of years, whilst Newcastle are building towards a, a challenge for Europe, at least, you know, we know that the squad can be improved in pretty much every single area. But yeah. we're trying to identify those who you believe, you know can be there for, the, yeah. I, I'm not going to say the long-term future, but the medium-term future, as opposed to those that probably need to be upgraded right away. Um, another player that I want to get your thoughts on is is Joe Linton, because 
Um, he obviously arrived. Um, there was a lot of excitement about that. £39.6 million, pounds, um, according to transfermarket.co.uk. That's what Newcastle paid for him. So that would have broken the record again. Um, 29 games in the Premier League this season. Just one goal and two assists. What have you made yeah. of his season so far? Are you convinced that there's a player in there somewhere? Oh, it's so difficult to talk about Joe Linton because it's so there's so many problems that you know there there uh, there are fans who are asking why after years of Mike Ashley not spending any money did he suddenly decide that it was worth spending forty million pounds? And by the way, um, Joe Linton was one of the key reasons why you know it was Joe Linton or Rafa in a sense because Rafa didn't want to pay forty million for Joe Linton, um, and he even said that. And Ashley was willing to put. He, he he valued him at twenty million. Ashley was willing to put the other twenty million in of his own money to to get the deal over the line. So you wonder why, having scouted him so much, they scouted him twenty four times, I think, when he was at Hoffenheim. You wonder why they were so keen on him if they were only going to just try and because he isn't a Rondon type player, he isn't a, a Salomon Rondon who left at the end of last season. They didn't want to take his loan because he was too old. He was over twenty six. That's the rule for Mike Ashley. So. Jonathan age-wise is the perfect age, but he's not the, he's not anything like a, a, a Rondon-type player. He doesn't play down the middle. He isn't a target man. He never played as a... He rarely played as a target man for Hoffenheim. He isn't, he isn't exactly... Uh, he's not exactly a prolific striker either, though, because even during his time at Hoffenheim, I've got the stats up here, 11 goals in 36 appearances... But interestingly, it's not about the goals for me, it's the assists. 11 goals, 9 assists, which suggests that he likes to bring people into the game. And I guess, I know you said he doesn't necessarily always play through the middle, but in terms of what he brings to the table, it reminds me a little bit of Olivier Giroud in the sense that people often look at his goal stats and maybe say, actually, it's not good enough. But he does bring people into the game, or at least he did previously. But the difference between Giroud and Joe Linton is... Joe Linton isn't was never he's never been built he's never played as that type of player it's a real mystery as to why Newcastle what the disconnect is between the scouting team who watched him all those times watched him play in that withdrawn role more like a Firmino type than a out and out striker they watched him play in all those you know those that that withdrawn role they watched him create all those assists not score that many goals certainly not play as a target man and then they've given him to Steve Bruce and Steve Bruce has put him up front in that role. Where the disconnect is with that, I don't know. Um, so before I'm, I'm, I'm willing to judge, and also give him the number nine shirt. I mean, he's not. You, you can't. You can't. As twenty three year old, now probably twenty four. You can't. That he was a child when he was ten years old when Alan Shearer retired in Brazil. You can't say that he's going to know the history of Shearer, the number nine shirt, and stuff like that. And and he so he's going to arrive not as a as a number nine type striker. Given the number nine, with all of the pressure that because any stri- any number nine in the Premier League's you know the main striker, but in Newcastle it means so much more than just being a striker. It means about hope and and you know dreams that everyone loves. You know it's it's got that iconic feel to it. So he's coming into the club with that burden on his back, not understanding it, um, and then he's just expected to go and lead the line. And people then say that he's he's poor and all that stuff, and he doesn't hasn't played well in certain games, but. Crucially, when he's given, when he's taken out the firing line, played on the left, or you know, there's or Carroll's up front with him, and he's allowed to play a little bit of a more withdrawn role, he does good things, and he's played better. So I'm loath to say that he doesn't have a a, a place 
going forward at Newcastle because he, he at least deserves a restart, I think, to play on the left, especially if you've paid £40 million for him, you may as well give him that, that opportunity to, to re-give to re him, to re, you know, restart it in, in, the, in the fashion that he would he would find more comfortable, maybe on the left, maybe on the right. Obviously, we've got St. Maximum as well in that, in that equation, so it's a bit difficult. But, you know, even if you're playing up front but change the system and have... You, you play more, try and play more like Liverpool do. So you've got a central striker that isn't a central striker. Maybe you know. Certainly, the first thing I would do is take the number nine off him and give him a, a different squad number where he doesn't have that. Because that instantly, but having given him the number nine, Harry would taking it away kill him. I don't. To be honest, I think I don't think so because I think it's got to the, got to the point where he he hasn't. He, he he wasn't. It's it, you may as well almost have given Almer on the number nine, really, in terms of how suited he was to it. Um, it doesn't. It, he was never. I I honestly don't understand the disconnect between how he played at Hoffenheim because if you want to know how good of a footballer he is, Julian Nagelsmann, who is probably the best young, probably the next star of coaching in the world, now at Leipzig was at Hoffenheim, managed Joel into at Hoffenheim. He called him an animal. Now if Nagelsmann's calling you an animal. You've got to have something about you. So I think that he deserves the opportunity at a reset, playing on the left with a different squad number, maybe a little bit of a, you know, it, with better players around him. Because basically, as well, the system that Bruce was playing didn't get the best out of him, even if you were going to play him in the middle. Even if you were going to play him as a target man, he was basically playing as a target man, was the only man in, the, in his own half for half a season. Newcastle haven't played to his strengths at all. So you can't. Whether he's performed, you know, well enough, he certainly has deserved criticism in certain games. But I would certainly, I would definitely not rule him out of, of making some sort of impact. I would like to see him given an opportunity to show himself before making the decision. But he's, I mean, as it stands, just from the sure, from the sheer mystery, it's mystifying how they came to the decision, why they thought he was worth that money, where they didn't other people, why they thought he was worth getting rid of Benitez. There's so many questions as to why we Newcastle are in the situation they are with Joel Linton. You've got to say he's probably the worst the worst deal that they've ever had, the, the worst transfer ever made at the club. <laughs> with that said, I don't want to see him get... Got rid of, I, I, I have a lot of sympathy for him and I want to see him given a fair, fair crack at the whip before you make a, a, a definite decision on him. But I, yeah, I, I, it's such a mystifying situation with Joel Linton. Um, and let's say, uh, I think if you got, you know, before before letting Ch- uh, Charlie from Wall's End have his opinion and writing him off and, you know, saying that he's rubbish and stuff, listen to the best young coach in the world who says he's an animal and there's a player in there. Certainly, Brilliant. It's, worth, uh, it's worth a go. Brilliant stuff. Let's move on uh, to Sean Longstaff. Um, you know the drill by now, <laughs> the download on, on Longstaff uh, as you see it. John Longstaff is a, a player that started brilliantly. He came, you know, Newcastle fans crave um, local stardom, if you like. It doesn't happen that often anymore. There's a lot of great Geordie footballers. If you look at, I mean, Steve Bruce is probably, he didn't play for Newcastle, but probably the greatest player never to play for England. Um, obviously, Beardsley, Peter Beardsley, Paul Gascoigne, um, Alan Shearer, obviously, there's a lot of players who've come, Mike Carrick, who've come from the northeast and made it big. Um, and and but but rarely do they actually come through the system and make it big at Newcastle anymore. 
um, Andy Carroll was probably the last one to do it. Paul Dummett's done it since. Uh, so Sean Longstaff comes in Boxing Day at Liverpool in 2018 is his debut. Brilliant second half of the season. There's all this, as there always is with young players, as you're well aware, Harry, there's comparisons. Should he play for England way too early? And I saw that he played eight games, nine games, um, before he got injured against West Ham. Defeat uh, against West Ham in March, he did his ligaments. And um, up until that game, there was all of this talk is, is he better than Declan Rice? And is he, you know, and there was a a sort of faux rivalry was created with West Ham fans over it. And the reality was, you know, they're both talented players who can do something with their careers, let them play first. Then there was all that, that link, those links with Manchester United while he was coming, coming back, they were going to bid 25 million. They thought they could get him for that. Newcastle came back and said, no, we want 50. I spoke to his agent over the time, over the summer. And he said that um, he was just focused on getting back, uh, but he didn't deny that there would have been an interest in a move to Manchester United. So he came into the season recovering from an injury with a load of pressure on his back. Again, same about Joe Linton. Not unnecessary pressure. And he hasn't hit the heights this season as a result, but that potentially maybe as a system change, it hasn't suited him. Maybe uh, he isn't as good as we all thought he was when he first burst onto the scene. I'd say it's probably a mix of all three of those things. Um, and he should be given the chance uh, to, to go along with with you know his own pace and improve because as I say, it's interesting how one or two good performances can can put you into suit. So interesting one as well. I would like to 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 maybe as an example of where you you should ignore these sorts of instant impacts. Remember when West Ham beat Arsenal on the opening day a couple a few years ago, and Reese Oxford played he played yeah. absolutely sixteen, but yeah. that blinder. And everyone came in and said, this guy's going to play for England. He's 16. Everyone comes in and said, you know, this guy's going to play for England. He's going to do all this stuff. Um, and then he couldn't back it up because who could back it up at that age? It's not yeah. just that. It's, 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 it's what you said, Harry. It's, it's absolutely that unnecessary pressure that gets put on young what? players. I was doing a piece what? today on um, Ravel Morrison. Do you remember him? Uh, another one yeah. um, who broke through Manchester United and moved on to West Ham. And Wayne Rooney, I think, in his Times column, um, said the other day that he's actually, he was head and shoulders above everybody else when he was coming through. He was better than Paul Pogba. He was better than Jesse Lingard, et cetera, et cetera. But it just shows that when the pressure's there and you don't apply yourself properly, you can fall behind. And so putting this kind of pressure on young players, as you said, is not helpful in any way, shape or form. As soon as Longstaff came, again, I mentioned Hayden. Hayden and Longstaff were, um, and I remember I think I talked talk to you after, I think I talked to you before an Arsenal game a couple, during that last season um, for a Chronicles podcast. And I said, we were talking about Sean Longstaff. And we played, we, we played Manchester City in that game. Hayden and, and Longstaff have been brilliant. Guardiola actually name-checked them in the press conference and said that they couldn't, Man City couldn't handle those two. And that really propelled him into, on BT Sport, that propelled him onto national acclaim, where he'd just been impressed a little bit for Newcastle in the weeks before. Um, and then he scored against Burnley a couple of weeks later. And there's all this conversation, is he the next Michael Carrick? And he's played eight games, and then he gets injured, and then Manchester United come in. And you wonder, who could deal with that this season? So And play to the level he was. So, again, uh, I don't know if he's going to be a world superstar in Newcastle, Fans are just desperate to see a, a Geordie lad come through. Um, the interesting one, the, the one he signed a new contract, he, the, there is there's a 
okay. on what's happening with, with his contract and his brother Matty as well, who's out of contract at the end of the season, which is a problem that's going to be, if that's if the season doesn't get completed by July, what, what's going to happen with those players? Uh, lots of interest elsewhere. He scored against Manchester United um, in that game, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, I think he's an interesting situation where there's a lot of worry about it. There's a deadlock there. Obviously, that was before the takeover. And if I was the Longstaff brothers before the takeover, I'd be certainly looking at the situation and going, why would you stay? Other than being Newcastle fans, these are the easiest deals to do. Two lads who love Newcastle and have grown up throughout the system at Newcastle. They love the club. And Newcastle can't get these players tied down. What does that tell you about the current ownership Absolutely. and how much there is need for a takeover? Um, regarding the two of them, I think, um, whether that you know, I, 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 they'd have to improve massively if they were going, you know, the equivalent of Phil Foden is now for Man City or Frank Lampard was for uh, Chelsea as an, as an English staple in in a team that has billions of pounds around it. Um, but I would love, uh, you know, they they deserve that opportunity again to to give the to give that chance of the players you've asked me about today. I think if one player doesn't is is discarded, it will probably be Isaac Hayden. Because he just isn't spectacular and there's nothing really around him. To, he came in for, for for nothing. He's been here a long time. He doesn't. He's not spectacular. He doesn't have a a local link to the club that makes him worth. He doesn't have a big price tag on his head. It's a real pity to say that. I don't. I think he would probably be someone who who would who get if anyone gets cast aside, it would be him. But Matty Longstaff and Sean Longstaff need to be tied down. But also need a little bit of nurturing and, and tempering whether that's Pochettino comes in or Bruce keeps his job or or Rafa comes back or whatever that needs to happen with those two first of all Matty needs to be tied down because would you believe there's interest from um, the, the Milan clubs uh, Marseille Borussia Dortmund have been linked a lot of English clubs are, are supposedly watching as well so uh, there, there's got to be in terms of Matty keeping him is key Sean I think uh a lot more, there's a lot more I think there's a lot more people who, who question whether he's going to go as far as we originally thought but um, they, they deserve the opportunity to see where they can go absolutely brilliant stuff Harry it's been it's been great to get your thoughts and insight uh, on those players and I'm sure we'll be uh, delving into some others in the coming episodes as well um, massive thank you to yourself the time has absolutely flown by on this edition really really enjoyed it hope you guys have too don't forget to subscribe to the podcast leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening from um, and we'll be getting our YouTube channel up and running as well in the coming days so stay tuned for to our Twitter feed for information on that it's at LRLP podcast you can email us as well lrlppodcast at gmail.com follow harry at harry the cosimo on twitter and you can follow myself at harry simu that's s-y-m-e-o-u we'll be back very soon with another edition of lauren robert's left peg until then take care of yourselves and stay safe 